Here's a picture of our missionaries that I had the opportunity to visit with over the last, uh, the last month. Um, the Penners uh, with Crossworld um, were in Brazil, South Africa, teaching, training people, wonderful missionaries, just wonderful, godly people. Uh, the the uh, top right, the RASC, the MAF, I had a great visit. I actually spent almost two days with them. Um, visiting with them, talking with them, getting to know them, being in the context of life, going to the MAF headquarters. And my only regret is I wish I would have done this about uh, uh, 10 years ago. And what a, what a beautiful opportunity for me to go and see what life is like and MAF and the ministry and all the different things going on with them. Um, the bottom left are the, uh, the Tumases with Wycliffe and SIL and getting the message of Jesus translated into languages. There's about 1,800 languages um, that don't have the Word of God. And, and they're working with um, getting those uh, languages translated so that we can get the Word of God to them. And, and here's the Tumas, been with a part of Hope Church for a long years in the house. I, I just can't tell you how much I appreciate and love the house. Um, I mean, they're in their 70s, and they're, they're not slowing down. And it was an absolutely great privilege for me to be able to go there and to talk with them and get to know them. And so what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to look at a passage of Scripture. I actually want to talk about this idea of legacy and I want to talk about my interactions with our missionaries. A lot of them are getting older in life, 60s, 70s years old. Some of them are looking at retirement. Some of them are looking at what's going on, evaluating. So when I went to them, one of the questions I had was, what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want people to remember about you? How are you living now and what's going to change in your life? And, and it's a good thing for us to, to consider. It's a good thing for all of us to consider. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. You know, how are we living our lives? What are the people coming behind us going to think about us? There's a man by the name of Joseph Epstein. And, and he, I, I got this quote, and I think it's kind of appropriate for where we're at this morning and about uh, evaluating our life. But this is what he said. He said this, We don't choose to be born. We do not choose our parents or the country of birth. We do not, most of us, choose to die, nor do we choose the time and conditions of our death. But within this realm of choicelessness... We do choose how we live. Every day, we have the opportunity to choose, how am I going to live my life? Who am I living my life for? Within the realm of choices, you and I have a direction to go into. And are we living our lives intentionally in such a way that, that Jesus is glorified and honored? And, and as I talked and had an opportunity just to visit and have coffee and, and um, contemplate life with our missionaries, over and over I heard this desire to live purposely even until the end. We're not necessarily retiring from sharing the message of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but what ultimately what we want to do is we want to live for Jesus, no matter where we're at, this community, this church, and the opportunity for us to honor and glorify him all the way to the end. And then the words that I just shared on the screen by Joseph Epstein, they seem to parallel the text that I want to look at this morning. Apostle Paul. He's got this young man, Timothy. Timothy's a little bit timid, not sure of ministry, not sure of life. Sometimes gets frightened, not sure what to do. And what Paul wants to do is just listen to me. I, 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 want, to, I want to charge you. I want to light a fire on you. I want to encourage you. I, I'm getting ready to die. I can see it. I'm getting ready to die. I'm probably not leaving this, this prison alive. I'm, I'm probably going to leave and, and go to my execution. But what I want to do is I, I want to take a moment and reflect on my life and reflect on how you should live. And, and, and that's kind of the text I want to look at and land on this morning. It's from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Let me, just, let me just read the text. Hear the word of the Lord as I read it. And, and listen to Paul's words from a man who's probably contemplating death in a mammertime prison in Rome, struggling, he writes these words to Timothy. 
For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness that the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to those who have longed for his appearing. By the way, as Paul wrote those words from 2,000 plus years ago, I believe they're especially applicable to our brother Gary. There's no doubt in my mind. He fought the good fight. He finished the race. There's no doubt in my mind. He kept the faith, and we all know that. So this text is extremely relevant for you and I and for our families this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Father, I pray that you just speak to us this morning through the lives of our missionaries, through the life of Gary, or through the testimony of, of Daniel. Father, this morning is about the way that we live. This morning is about the legacies that we leave in the hearts and minds of the people that we come in contact with many of those on a daily basis. So, Father, I pray that you would encourage us. pray that you would spur us on, you would charge us to live in honor and to glorify you in every aspect of life. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So, what I think Paul is doing is here, he's in that maritime prison, and he's in Rome, and he's, he's getting ready to, to die. He, he knows he's probably going to be murdered. He's probably going to be beheaded. So he's looking at the close of his life. He's looking at the immediate close of his life. But, but he also looks back. He looks back to the way that he lives and, and how he described his spiritual journey. But then he also looks forward. He looks forward to the crown that he's going to receive when he eventually leaves this, this, uh, this life. And so, so what I want to do is I, I want to look at li, li, living a legacy. Living a living legacy is what I want to look at. And there's three looks that what I, hopefully we can get through this morning. And So let's just look. Three looks for a living legacy. Number one is this. Look out for the close. We are going to die. We're not going to get around that. We are all going to die. We don't know the exact manner, time, anything like that. God knows, but we're all going to die. Look at verse 6. Notice what Paul writes. This is, For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. Well, what Paul does in verses 1 through 4 in chapter 4, he says, listen, I want to charge you. I want to encourage you. I don't want you to give up. Life is hard, and ministry is really, really hard there, and it's difficult. And what I want to do is, I want to encourage you, don't give up, keep moving forward, step by step. I, I've been faithful to the end, and I, I want you to continue to do that. And, and what's interesting is, is Paul's on his deathbed. He's not talking about or describing his life as being beheaded by Nero in Rome. He doesn't even wor use words like death and dying. He uses two images there. In, in a profound way to, to remind us of his life and the way that he was living. Two very different images. The first one is this. Having poured out my life as a drink offering and departure. When Paul says, listen, my life is being poured out like a drink offering, it's referring back to the Old Testament, something that he was probably familiar with, no doubt he was familiar with. When the worshiper would come, he would, he would, he would bring the, whatever was going to be sacrificed. He would bring the, the animal, and, he would, and it would be placed on the, and the altar, and, and it would be burned, and the, the aroma would go up. And every once in a while, they would bring this, this water or maybe some wine, and they would, they would throw it on the altar, and it would go up, and it would bring this, the Numbers talks about the sweet aroma to the Lord as it was burned up, and it evaporates, and it goes into the air. And, and you have this wonderful picture. Paul says, my life is like this burnt offering, if you will. I gladly give all that I am on the altar to sacrifice my life for who Jesus is and what he's done. I gladly give all that I have to the Lord. 
This sacrifice that I offer to you is given of a symbol of my wholehearted love and honor and devotion for you. I give my life to you as this living sacrifice. That's what he says. Poured out for who? For the Lord. He's ready to do that. But notice the second image. Is, he doesn't talk about death. He talks about departure. A sailor would use departure with the idea of a hoisting an anchor and setting sail. We're going from one place to another. A farmer, you take off the yoke at the end of the day. We're, we're departing from work. We're not doing that anymore. A prisoner being loose of his bonds. He's, he's got these shackles. and We're going to take these bonds on that now. And now you can depart and go free. All of those have this idea of departure. But notice what it doesn't have. The idea of death or cessation of life. And so what, what Paul is doing is Paul is reminding us in these two images that he's merely moving from one place to another. There's going to be a transition in life. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to live my life in such a way that it's going to be a sacrifice to the Lord. I willingly give my life to the Lord. And I'm simply departing, going to be to my right and truthful home. See what Paul's doing? Paul is, is giving a charge to Timothy about the way that he lives his life all the way to the end. And it's almost as if he's saying this. Listen, Timothy, when you hear of my death, don't think that Nero has executed me against my will. I gladly laid down my life for the Lord. Nero cannot take my life. I gladly offer it to Christ. And my blood will be like, will be like the wine of that drink offering, gladly given to the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. And I think what Paul is reminding Timothy here is, listen, to live is Christ and to die is gain. All of my life, whether life or death, is, is given to Jesus. And that's what ultimately I want to do. I, I want to make a difference in the life of others by living for Jesus in such a way that I'm going to go be with him one day and I'm going to live and work and minister and serve to the best of my ability so that he is always the focal point of my life. So when you enter... The building at the Aviation Fellowship headquarters in Nampa. There's two uh, pictures here, and some of you may recognize this, and some of you may not. It's the shell of an airplane. It's the remains of a plane that Jimmy Elliott, Nate Saint, Pete Fleming, Ed McCauley, and Roger Yoderian flew to bring the gospel message to the Warani Indians in Ecuador in January of 1956, January 8th of 1956, they were all martyred. They landed and they were, they were all killed. 38 years after this event, they actually found the plane. They were able to rebuild it. And, and this is the shell of the plane, if you will. And as you walk into MAF headquarters, it's right behind the, the desk there. And it's there, and it's, it's almost a reminder of the cost of what it takes at times to take the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ these Indians had never heard about Jesus, never heard about the message of the life-saving offer of Christ for us. And these men and their wives went out and they sacrificed and they ended up giving their lives for the cause of Christ. And that's what I think Paul is talking about when he's talking about being poured out like a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. We don't know. But there is an incredible cost that some people will take and make taking the message of Jesus other places and other countries. Here's another picture. I found out that with MAF that somewhere around um, four minutes, somewhere the uh, an MAF plane lands or takes off all over the world to take not only the message of Jesus, but probably going and doing some type of humanitarian work, which they've been doing. 
They have this idea of, of wanting to help people, but ultimately what they want to do is to bring the message of Jesus to other people who do not know and have not embraced Christ yet. And they do that all over the world. So this is what I took from my visits from these missionaries. As I met with them, as I talked with them, as I had conversations with them, I, I was reminded of the pain and suffering that some of them have gone through. Many of them uh, have gone through a, a lot of difficulties. Doug Howe lost his wife while on the field. He had three teenage sons. Um, his future wife, the one who would become his second wife, Dolores, was working in, um, I think it was Venezuela for 13 years. She was teaching in the jungles of Venezuela for 13 years, in the jungles of Venezuela. And God in his providence and God in his grace brought those two together and allowed them to minister and to serve together as a family. I, I, I listened and heard about personal challenges, family challenges, life challenges for all of our missionaries. Think about it. The Penners have been with us for over 42 years. The Howes have been with us probably 50 plus years. Think about that investment. That, that's the investment that, that you and I have had the privilege of being a part of as we support them in faith promise, as we pray for them, as we come alongside in, in, in partnership. 40, 50 years of ministry with all of these. And you all have been a part of that because of your faithfulness. And ultimately, it's, it's about getting the message of Jesus out to people who've never heard about the message of Jesus. And almost every one of them, as they, as they look to the close of their life, this is what they want to do. Clint, I want to be faithful to the end. God has been faithful to me. God has been faithful to us. God has been faithful to our family. And what I want to do is I get to the very close of my life. I want to continue to be faithful, to live and to serve. What a great encouragement. What a great reminder that you and I have the great privilege of minister and serving. And so as you look at your life, as I look at my life, hopefully it's with the eyes and the opportunity to remember to continue to serve and minister. Be a part of what God is doing all over the world. Not only at this church, but in the lives of some of our missionaries. The great privilege we had. You know, I wasn't sure how this was going to work with me going and visiting some of our stateside missionaries. You know, it's not like going overseas. It's not going that. I had a great time being in their homes. I had a great time sleeping in their houses a great time visiting with them, a great time interacting with them, seeing what life is really like in their churches, in their ministries, and a great privilege. And what a great privilege for us to be a part of their lives. So what Paul says is, I'm looking at the close of my life, and I know that I'm going to continue to fight to the end. That's the same thing for us. But notice what else he does. He looks back. Look at verse 7. I fought the good fight. I finished the race, and I've kept the faith. I don't know about you, but I want to be able to say that at the end. I wasn't perfect, but there was, a, there was a fight, and I was a part of that fight. And there was a faith, and I remained faithful all the way to the end. And there was a race, and I, I wanted to win that race. I wanted to, to fall in line with the, the, the ramifications of, of running in that race. I sense that, that Paul is this older guy. He knows he's going to die. And Timothy, he wants Timothy to continue on. He wants the legacy to continue. What do our missionaries want? One of the things that I heard over and over for them is, is people like the, 
uh, the Penners went back 10 years after they'd been to Brazil. They came back eight, 10 years later, and they, they sat around and saw all of these people who they ministered and served to, all of these people that would have, they'd poured their lives into, and guess what they're doing? Now they're continuing on, taking on the church and taking on the life and taking on the ministry, much like some of you have done in the life of Daniel and, and now sending him out. And so we have this picture of, of Paul, this pastor, wanting to share his life with, with Timothy. One man said this about what Paul is writing. This is a very moving document as we see the aged apostle facing death, looking back at a service for God and taking tender concern for his son in the face that he may be strong in the task to which God has called him. In other words, what he wants to do is he wants to encourage Timothy. Don't give up. Don't get beat up. Be faithful all the way to the end because people need to hear about Jesus. So when you walk into MAF, and by the way, I'm mentioning a lot about MAF because their headquarters is in the United States. I didn't, I, I've never really had a chance to visit a headquarters, but because MAF's headquarters are in Nampa, and that's where the rats are at, I had a chance to, uh, to visit with them and, and be involved in, in their building and see their building. So that's why I'm referring a lot of to... When you walk in and there's kind of a corridor, if you will, and, and it kind of all comes together, but you can't read it, but, but it goes into the, uh, the, the dining hall, which can be trans... Uh, can be changed into a meeting room. There, there's a, a vision statement, and, and this is what it says. So as they come together, it all comes together with a vision statement on one side and a mission statement on the other. And this is what the vision statement says. It says, to see isolated people changed by the love of Christ. Well, that should be true of all of us, right? To see isolated people, a family member, neighbor, a co-worker, a student at your school, separated from Jesus, and what? To be changed by the, by the love of Christ. In other words, as Christ has changed you, as Christ has changed me, we have the great privilege of going and introducing them to who Jesus is by the way that we live. And that's what they want to see. That's their vision. Ultimately, they want to see people come to know Jesus. And so what does Paul do? He looks back on his life. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Let me just take a minute and just look at each of those. As, as Paul says, I have, I have, I have. As Paul takes a minute to reflect on his life. He says, there's a battle to be fought. I, I fought the good fight. I have agonized over the agony. You know what? It hasn't been easy. It hasn't been an easy task for me. Life has been very, very difficult. You can go back and read all of the ways that he was persecuted, all the ways that he suffered. All of those things were evident and true in his life. And Paul had lived a life a disciplined life, all the way to the end, if you will. He says, listen, I, I fought the good fight. Notice his, I, I, he didn't say I fought a good fight. In other words, that's not the description of his fight. I fought a good fight. No, he says I fought the good fight, the good fight about the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, this is about Jesus and who he is, and there's this battle going on in the heavenly realms, of which you and I are a part of in the sense that we have the opportunity to be a witness and a testimony to people around us. And that's the battle that we're a part of. People's eyes have been blinded to the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And isolated people need to see and hear what? The love of Christ as we minister and serve them in the midst of the battle. 
Paul sees this battle so vividly. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, he writes this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is a spiritual force out there that wants to keep people blinded to the light of who Jesus is in the reality. And what God chooses to do is to use you and I to take the message of a love of Christ in the context of their lives, to love them, to care for them, nurture them, point them ultimately to Jesus so that they can embrace. Is that the desire of our lives to do? There, there is a fight out there. There is a battle for the souls of men and women. And Paul goes on to describe a race. He says this, I, I, I finished the race. In other words, he, he lived a directional life. When you are competing, when you are running in a race, you have to run the race according to the rules of the race, if you will. And what Paul is saying, listen, I competed I disciplined my life. I lived a directional life in the midst of the race. I followed all the rules. I did what God wanted me to do. I didn't lose my testimony of what it means to walk and emulate what it means to to trust in Jesus. And Paul's not giving up. You know what I love about this? Paul knows he's going to die. He probably knows he's going to die. And verse 11, he says, by the way, when you come back, bring Mark. Mark's useful for me. And in verse 13, and when you come back, bring the parchments, bring the word of God, because I, I really want something to, to read. And, and by the way, in verse 17, it says this, the Lord, the Lord stood by my side in all of this pain and all of this suffering and all of this. And in verse 18, it says, God's going to deliver me. Even toward the end of his life, he's thinking about ministry. He's pointing people to Jesus. Saying, I, I, I want to be faithful all the way to the end. Missionaries don't want to stop. They don't want to stop. They're in their 60s, 70s. They're waiting. But they're going to be faithful all the way to the end. You know, they're looking and trying to find ways in the context of their life, context of their ministry, of, of, of serving Jesus. One man simply said this, I, this is what I want to be known for, the gospel, all the way to the end. I want to be known for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Paul looked back, a battle to be fought, a race to be won, and then a a body of truth to proclaim. Look at verse 7. I have kept the faith, the faith, the faith that's about the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The faith about who Jesus is. The, The faith about how we are separated from God because of this thing called sin. And that we need to be reconciled to a holy God. And Paul bringing and proclaiming and encouraging Timothy to take that message of salvation to other people. So that they can live a transformed life. The faith. Not abandoning the faith. Not abandoning the doctors doctrines, not falling prey to, to going off on the wayside and say, well, some of these things are only, don't really matter in, in our faith. He says, I have kept the faith because of my responsibility to Jesus and who he is and what he's done for me and what we need to do for other people. And Timothy, now what I want you to do, I want you to look at my life, I want you to look at the way that I live, and I want you to look at the way that I'm going to end my life, and I want that to be a testimony to you even in the midst of pain and suffering and death, you're going to see that I'm going to die. I'm going to be martyred. But it is worth it in order to follow who Jesus is and what he's done. Paul is encouraging Timothy in his legacy. Keep going. 
Don't give up. Be encouraged. Move ahead. Keep at the center of your life people and pour your life into those people. What kind of legacy are you living? What kind of legacy am I living and leaving? Billy Graham said this, the greatest legacy one can pass on to one's children and grandchildren is not money or other material things accumulated in one's life, but rather a legacy of character and faith. What will you remember about Gary Furch? We remember his testimony of faith. We remember the character of his life. Remember the way that he prayed for us. Remember his theology, his doctrine, his love for people. Somebody mentioned in the class this morning about the Bolivia. Bolivia is radically changed because of Gary and Friends in Action and his testimony and his faithful mission to go over there and tell people about Jesus. Pastor Saul, all of those people, their lives have been radically changed. There's a legacy because of who Gary is and what he's done. I want to close with this illustration. So the house, there's some of our older couple in there in the... They're in their 70s, and uh, I had a chance to meet them. I, I actually drove up to Kansas City and meet them, and, and we got in the car. Um, Doug told me about um, a conversation that he had had with a, a couple from their church. Evidently, a couple had come to their church. They weren't married. They come to their church, and uh, Doug's kind of like a, a, a volunteer visitation pastor, so he went to, the, to their home, and he, and he just began to talk with them and tell them about who Jesus is and what he has done for them. And he actually led him to the Lord. I mean, here he is, this part-time visitation pastor. He still has this passion for people, and he leads them to the Lord. And now what's he doing? He's discipling them. So we drove on, and then we went to the restaurant, and we sat down in the restaurant, and he, uh, the, the gal came up, and he immediately hands her a track. Now, I don't know if any of you use track. And sometimes people look at that and go, oh, man, I don't know if I would do that. But he gave this gal a track, and she looks at the track, and across the front it says heaven. And she almost bursts out into tears. She says, you know what? My grandfather passed away yesterday. And this is just a reminder. This is just a reminder of where he is because of his trusting in Jesus. And God used the life of Doug Howe to remind me of who he is, what he's done, and the importance of pouring my life, our lives, into people. And I saw that over and over with the people that I talked with. The rest are recruiting pilots to go to places where people can't go. The Tumises are still working with Bible translation and SIL uh, of trying to, to minister and serve to people who do not have uh, the, the message of Christ in their own language. The penner is waiting to see where they would go next. Uh, so many of our missionaries um, looking at the end of their life but not giving up on who Jesus is and what he would have for them. I, I'm just going to mention this and then we're going to be done. The last look that Paul does, he looks forward. And, and let me just read this verse and we're done. Notice what he looks forward to. Is the Christian life worth it? Is the Christian life worth living for Jesus in such a way? Notice what Paul says. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. In other words, there's something ahead of me. There's something in heaven for me because I've lived this faithful life. Which the Lord, the righteous judge. In other words, think about that. The righteous judge. He's going to die by the hands of Nero. The supreme judge of all the earth is going to one day lay everything into account. And though Paul is going to die as a martyr, God is still the supreme sovereign judge who's in charge of all things, and Paul knew it.
And he says, gladly I will lay down my life for the cause of Christ. I will gladly depart from this life. And not only to me, but what? To all who long for his appearing. That's you and I. That's you and I. That's how it relates to you and I. Do we long for the appearing of Jesus? Do we long for the opportunity that we have to continue to be faithful, to minister and serve the cause of Christ and who he is and what he's done for us? Let me pray. Father, I just stop and acknowledge Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, I stop and acknowledge who he is and what he's done for us. And Father, ultimately this morning is about Jesus, not about us, but it's about who he is and what he's done for us. And Father, I pray that we just stop in the middle of our lives, stop in the middle of the service to acknowledge who you are and what you've done for us, your beautiful, wonderful life on earth, how you healed and brought teaching. And then you told everyone that that you were going to go to the cross and you were going to offer yourself as a sacrifice, as a payment for our sin. And that we can be forgiven of our sin. We thank you for that. We thank you for the great privilege we have of being able to, to honor you and to glorify you for who you are and what you've done. And so, Father, I pray that you would just remind us of your goodness and your grace to us this morning in going to the cross as we think about you and contemplate what you've done for us. Father, I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.